fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time. Even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a Friday, greatest day of the entire week. Hey, pat yourself on the back, man. You made it. You made it to the end. You see the light at the end of the tunnel. Enjoy that adult beverage this weekend that is not a Bud Light. Welcome into the program. Great to have you along broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting, however you watch or listen to the show. Welcome aboard. Great to have you. Your Millennial General reporting for duty like we do every single day. Programming note for you real quick. It's hot, man. Now, for those that listen all over the country, we are based out of Wichita, Kansas again. And Wichita, Kansas right now is a 101 degree temperature with humidity, making it feel like 105. Here's the big kicker, man. The air conditioner at the radio studios has been out all day. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So on top of the 105, we're around massive amounts of electronics and computers that punch out a massive amount of heat. And I feel like I've run a marathon today. Drenched. Not to put that image into your mind, but it's been a warm one today. I am sweating so bad, I feel like I'm a Democrat on 4th of July. It is it is ridiculous today. Having a hard time. So welcome into it. We're going to power through, though, and energize you. I guess I can lose some weight today, so I guess it's a good one. Welcome, welcome in. Dr. Tim Murphy, he's a psychologist, author of multiple books. He'll be on the program today. We're going to talk about a link between mental health issues and the increase in violence across the nation. The shootings. The outbursts of anger, what's going on, and we'll look at it from a psychology perspective and where we're at with the mental health conversation. Every time there's a shooting, we try to ask, hey, could we do something with the mental health issue across the nation? I've read this stat many times, but fifth graders today, those kids that are in the fifth grade, had the same level of anxiety as a mental patient that was in the insane asylums back in the 1950s getting the electroshock treatments. Fifth graders today have that level of anxiety. You can only imagine what adults have in levels of anxiety compared to those children on top of that as well. And if that's the case, then no wonder we're seeing people snap across the nation. What do we do to handle that? And how do we fix a problem like this? So we'll talk about that with Dr. Tim Murphy coming up here in just a little bit. There is a lot to cover today, man, and I have no clue how we're going to get to as much of it as we possibly can. But we will do our darndest as usual. Starting off, let's go to a place where... I wish I was right now. I'm going to sit here. We're going to meditate on it for a second. We're just going to <laughs> we're going to pretend with our mind. Just close your eyes unless you're driving and just vision Alaska where there's ice and there's snow and there's cool weather and it gets dark really early and it's really cold and you have to wear stockings and you have to wear like coats and heavy things right now. I will take that right now compared to this 105 degree weather with no air conditioner in any way, shape or form. Uh, (laughs) Apparently Alaska has had enough, man. Now there are PR stunts. There are political messages. There are um, some desperation coming from some of the progressive cities across the nation. Obviously New York sending flyers out to illegal immigrants. Sorry, the immigrants coming over from the app that Joe Biden had created for the department of 
um, whatever that they're using down there, the military trying to scan these people with a two minute screening saying, hey, please don't come to New York City. The rent's too high. The food's too expensive. We don't have any more resources. I think that Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, is going to join the rent's too damn high party. But he created that and they're okay with that high rent. They're just using that as the excuse for illegals not to go to New York City. We have California right now, where it's the social program gone wrong, the social experiment gone wrong in the state of California, uh, trying to tell people that, you know, the drugs, the really hard, crazy, wild drugs that are given out to for free to homeless individuals is totally okay, and everything's going to be fine and hunky-dory, and that's why we see really crazy stuff going on in the state of California as well. And now Gavin Newsom thinks that everything's doing so well that he wants to run for president on his record of failed economic policy and being in a you know, uh, illegal sanctuary state for illegal immigrants and anti-gun advocates and the mental health issues and the poop app you have to download, just go to San Francisco. You know, things are going swell in California. So good that he wants to run for president. Well, there's a new headline from MSN coming out of the LA Times where they're a little concerned because they're starting to turn like New York. They can't handle the massive homeless population that they're seeing. Los Angeles, San Diego, San Francisco, all of them have been seeing massive homeless populations grow to the point we now have tent cities. Is that what you want to be known for? Hey, what did you do so well in your administration? Well, we allowed tent cities. So many homeless people, they had to get tents and then try and hook up power lines and extension cords and TVs into their tents because that's where they live because they can't afford to live anywhere else. That apparently is a, uh, a sign of success there. Well, there's a growing homeless population in Anchorage, Alaska right now. And according to the mayor of Anchorage, Alaska, Dave Bronson, says that they're experiencing homelessness so much that he's planning on sending the homeless to Los Angeles so they don't have to live outside in the cold. <laughs> now, I'm wondering, I think it's hilarious. I think it's fantastic. I mean, obviously, there's a problem with homelessness. We need to figure out why there's a population of homelessness in Anchorage, Alaska. I don't know the population of Anchorage, but I'm pretty sure it's not that terribly large, I would think. But I think that's hilarious that, you know what, if you guys want to hand out so many social programs, go ahead and take some more. Go ahead and do it. We will take your homeless and we will take care of them the way we have with so many other people that can join our ever-growing tent population. It's weird because for some reason, Democrats and progressives and liberals, not trying to do it as a lump sum party thing, but in ideology here, the progressives, they want to create these social programs. They want the dependency on government. We'll give you a check. You just work for the state. They want the CHIP program. They want the Social Security. They want the Medicare and Medicaid. They want the, the, the food stamps and the SNAP program. They want all of these wonderful things. But then when people start abusing it, they're like, we need to get people off them and give them opportunities. So I don't know why they would complain about it. Not sure why they would throw a fit about people coming from Alaska down to California in order to accept their great social programs and take advantage of the resources that are there for obvious reasons, because there's so many people taking advantage again of those social programs and those resources. So you would think they would welcome them in. The question is I have for you is how long will that last if they do start sending them down to L.A. before the L.A. city says, you know, you can't send them here any longer. We'll take the illegal immigrants. We'll take our homeless. We'll expand our tent city, but you can't come here. And if they do that, then can we turn around and say that they're racist against Eskimos? I, that's the question. 
<laughs> that is the big question. They are racist against icicles and Eskimos coming from Alaska. Holy cow, we got a lot to get to today. Uh, so, Roku, we haven't done much of this throughout the week, so we might as well just cover some of this as we wrap up the week today. But with the success that California has had, and I say that in air quotes for our radio listeners, Gavin Newsom is really gaining some momentum on the presidential front as the quote-unquote presidential hopeful. Now, Joe Biden has said that he's running. Gavin Newsom says that he's not running. But why else would he go on Sean Hannity? Why would he be mocking Republican states? And why would he be running political ads in other states other than either you have way too much money on your hands and you just don't know what to do with it, so you're just going to start mocking other people while your state just burns and crumbles with all the disasters that you have. But you're planning something big and being the smooth talker, one that can, quote unquote, hold his own against conservative pundits like Sean Hannity and somebody that could be the younger new face of the Democrat Party. It looks like he's becoming the hopeful. It looks like he's becoming the potential front runner for the party. I haven't seen any polls right now except for the ones that show Joe Biden massively in the lead with Newsom really not anywhere on the poll numbers and Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who would be the most rational Democrat out there that's falling behind and really sitting second or third in uh, the low teens for his uh, approval ratings right now among registered Democrat voters. On the Republican side, however, a bit of a shift. Donald Trump obviously still still leading massively with near two-thirds of the Republican population still supporting Donald Trump, but the rest of it is seeing a bit of a shift in polarized change on views. Everybody thought Ron DeSantis would be the next runner-up against Donald Trump and would be the one to topple Donald Trump with many supporting and throwing a lot of money behind Ron DeSantis. Obviously, this week that hasn't happened as he's cut near a third of his campaign contributions or a third of his, uh, his uh, staffers on his team. And he's starting to cut back on some of the money. He's running low. And some of the quote-unquote big donors and big investors, not looking at Ron DeSantis, but looking at other candidates like Tim Scott. And surprisingly, Vivek Ramaswamy. The millennial, that's the entrepreneur business guy, who's the feisty guy that uh, does not fear or shy away from taking on the progressives in the media or the progressives on social media or anywhere else. He has no problem going head-to-head -head with those fights, and it's very entertaining to watch, and I like it. But in fact, he's gaining so much support that in the home state of Ron DeSantis and the state of Florida, they're actually tied in some of the latest polls, which to Ron DeSantis, that's got to hurt, man. That's got to hurt a little bit. So Ron DeSantis trying to find ways to for him to boost up his support just a little bit and actually coming out now, surprisingly, in defense of Donald Trump, talking about some of the investigations on Trump right now, including the January 6th thing, saying that they're going to have more charges against him. He was on Newsmax just earlier today trying to boost himself up a little bit, saying, you know what, let's stop the rhetoric, let's work together a little bit, and Donald Trump's really not that bad of a criminal like everybody says he is. So here's what I think. If you go back to the Alvin Bragg case, what did Bragg do? Bragg took a business record statute and he stretched it to basically try to get these payments that, that Trump's people you know, made back in the day. Nobody would have been prosecuted under that in normal course of business, but because it was Trump, he wanted to go after. I, I, we don't know what's going to happen with this J6 thing. Um, you know, I hope that there's not charges brought. But what they've been doing is they've been using the statute called obstruction of a proceeding. And they've kind of been stretching that to fit conduct that may or may not have happened on January 6th. And I think if they do that, people are going to look at it and say, look, nobody's above the law. 
if if Donald Trump or any big political person you know gets caught robbing a bank or doing things that we know are traditional crimes that people get prosecuted for every day, um, you know that's just the way the cookie crumbles. But I think when you try to shove conduct into some of these more opaque statutes and you're running with that, given the politicization of the Garland Justice Department, you know, you're going to have a lot of people that are going to look at that and wince. One thing, though, I think we need to do when I become president, I've already said new FBI director, clean house at DOJ and weaponization. I don't know how that's much different than most of the other Republican candidates out there, but it's an interesting perspective for sure of him going on the defense of Donald Trump. You know, they're really trying to stretch the law right now. They're kind of abusing their power to go after Donald Trump. And I have a new theory on Washington, D.C.'s desperation to keep Donald Trump out of office that includes uh, their latest attack is going to be, let's just draw out more legal suits so much that the voters who are already tired of the drama, already tired of the uh, Donald Trump legal cases and issues that are getting him more support, by the way. So I don't know why they want to continue to go down that road. They're hoping for legal fatigue. It's just not worth it to bring this candidate on board. It's not worth it to support this candidate and keep fighting these fights and keep banging our head against the wall when they're going to continue to attack him. They're going to continue to berate him. They're going to continue to try and challenge him legally and find a way to just disregard him and belittle him in any chance that they get. Is it really worth it to have a candidate that has to go through that much baggage? The legal fatigue is going to be their best friend moving forward. At least that's what they say. On the other side, the Democrats, the establishment, the elites that don't like Donald Trump. The question is for you as the voter, is that true? And is that really going to work on their behalf? Or does that just solidify your position even more for someone like Donald Trump? This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. All right, it is. Welcome back into it. 24 minutes past the hour. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting. Hanging out on a Friday, setting the tone for the weekend, which is what we're all about here on the show. It's Carpe Diem all over this place, baby. I have a question for you if you are a Ron DeSantis kind of guy. I'm curious on how you think personally that his campaign's been going. I'm indifferent. I mean, I like some of the stuff he did with COVID. I think that the attacks from Trump on DeSantis for the COVID policy was kind of silly and ridiculous because Florida was the safe haven during the entire COVID pandemic. He's the one that opened up the trade to allow the ships to come in from China, as Donald Trump liked to say, to allow some of the trade and get resources back in. He's the one, and actually we played our and made our infomercial where, you know, DeSantis saves Christmas because he did keep a lot of things going and it kept things open and allowed uh, allowed people to kind of continue to live their lives for the most part down in the state of Florida. So we commend him for that very much. So outside of that, I honestly don't know a lot about his policies on the political side. What he has tried to do, however, was really not be out in front on a lot of different policy issues, but be reactionary trying to use other people's platforms. If you remember, again, Vivek Ramaswamy, the guy who he's tied with now in his own state of Florida uh, came out when Donald Trump was down in Miami with his court hearings. And Ramaswamy said, if I become president, I will pardon Donald Trump on all these charges if he's ever convicted. 
And he said that he was the first one, and he challenged all the other presidential candidates to do the same thing because, you know, we need, even though we don't want Donald Trump to be president, we want to be united as a party, we need to work together, and we need to stop the abuse of power in the legal team to try and stop a political opponent. And he was down there on that day while it was going on making that statement. Was it a political statement? Of course it was a political statement. Is it political messaging to appeal to the voters? Of course it is. You can't deny that. But he was the first one to do it. Now, Ron DeSantis, with this investigation now on additional charges against Donald Trump for January 6th, he came out on Newsmax earlier today and said the same thing as well. I've said from the beginning, uh, to have a former president that's almost 80 years old uh, go to prison, uh, that is not good uh, for this country. And so as president, you know, I'm, I have the pardon power as governor and I've exercised it. And obviously you got to look at the facts at, at the time that it happens. And it is all a case by case determination. And there's different reasons why you would pardon. But one of the reasons is, is this something that's in the best interest of society? And uh, I fail to see how that would be good for this country uh, to see something like that happen. I don't think it's going to come to that. I think he's maintained his innocence. Uh, but, you know, we need to I think we need to focus on the people's business looking forward. Uh, and we got to stop uh, criminalizing political differences. I agree. It sounds right. You know what? He's really changed his tone against Donald Trump. Before it was Donald Trump's pretty bad. I mean, the, the tit for tat, the back and forth against Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. He's softening his tone a little bit. Number one, because he realized he's not gaining any traction on Donald Trump in the polls among registered Republican voters. And number two, the fact that he's even losing now in his home state being tied with Vivek Ramaswamy means that he's losing a lot of momentum, cutting a third of his staff, cutting a lot of his advertising, trying to focus on some of the early states for the primaries next year. Is he having a change of heart and a bit of a tone change on the campaign trail? And would that potentially lead to him being open to the opportunity of partnering with a Donald Trump for a potential VP run with him on a t- on the same ticket. I'm not saying that's what should happen. I'm not saying that's what I want necessarily, but that would be interesting because before it was a hard no, I'm going to be the president, Donald Trump's going to lose, we need to stop the... But if he wants that political power, depending on how uh, aggressive he is on his political aspirations, is he now starting to reconsider and be open to that idea? Donald Trump hasn't really talked about presidential VP candidates yet and as someone to run on the ticket with him, uh, whether it's going to be someone like Tim Scott to try and bring in the African-American vote, whether it's going to be a woman so to bring in the women vote. It's all the fun identity politics games that politicians use to try and win over as many people as possible. But a deep state that supports Ron DeSantis, would that help him being a swing state that it is for Florida? Would that help him in the long run? would be really interesting to see. Lots more coming up on the program. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Hey, it's Andy Hoosier. You know, when I get off the air every day, the battle for me against limited government censorship and even unfactual content is far from over. That's why now I'm so happy to say that the Hoosier Media Network is giving you more opportunity to catch the voice of reason along with other great shows and podcasts. It's been a long time in the works, and now you can finally enjoy more great content, services, and topical shows. We're the safe space for alternative talk, information, and ideas that the mainstream media absolutely hates from holistic and alternative medicine discussions on religion and spirituality, hear entertainment shows, and of course yours truly with the voice of reason. 
Plus, we offer numerous media services, including helping you set up your own podcast, become your own voice of reason, and bring your expertise to any fun issue or topic. For information on all of our shows, links to podcasts, each show website or social media link, or to find out about everything we do to challenge the mainstream establishment, visit our website at HoosierMedia.com. Again, that's HoosierMedia.com, the future of media. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today for a Friday. Setting the tone for the weekend, baby. Let's carpe diem all over this place. (laughs) That's what we're all about today. Welcome into it. Trying to cram that 10 pounds reason into that five pound bag. Trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time. By the way, there was, as we talk about the rise of Vivek Ramaswamy, the Republican presidential candidate going into the number two slot, really, in some places, in some polls. Ron DeSantis on the decline. Donald Trump still kind of dominating that one right now. But Vivek, uh, there's some new pieces. NBC News, the rise of Vivek Ramaswamy, the long shot candidate. The McClatch in D.C. as well talks about with DeSantis being on the decline, Vivek Ramaswamy making it a run for a new two-man race in this race. Here's the bigger question, I guess, is uh, is the media hyping him up to be that Republican replacement for Donald Trump now that uh, Ron DeSantis is kind of losing that momentum. Interesting. We'll do some more of that a little bit later and uh, do some speculation on those presidential races. Let's shift gears a little bit, though, and get some other news going on. What's trending today? As we talk a lot about, obviously, crime and violence, gun issues. I just got off the air in the last hour with uh, Armed American Radio's uh, Mark Walters, which is always great to have him. I'll be filling in for that program, by the way, Monday and Tuesday next week with Armed American Radio's Daily Defense. So stay tuned in there. But uh, it seems to be an ongoing conversation. Every time there's a mass shooting or a bit of violence or something that goes on, One side says, let's talk about some mental health issues. Is there a correlation between people not being mentally stable? And that's not a derogatory thing. That's just a matter of fact. And an increase in why we're seeing mass shootings, why we're seeing violence, why we're seeing crime, why we're seeing streets and buildings and communities being burnt to the ground by individuals. What's going on in the world and why is it happening today to talk about some of that and so much more really happy to have on the program he is a licensed psychologist that focuses on recovery from psychological trauma. He also has three books, including his most recent book, The Christ at Cure. You can find him online at drtimmurphy.com. Dr. Tim Murphy with us here. Tim, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Great to be with you, Andy. Thank yeah. you so much for the honor. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. It's a fascinating conversation. I guess the biggest question I have to start off is, why is it so difficult to talk about mental health issues with everything going on in the world today, and why do some just kind of shy away from the conversation? You know, there, there was a book I put out a few years ago called Nobody Cares About Crazy People. It was written by the same fellow who wrote the book Flags of Our Fathers, which became a movie. And that quote came from a politician. I think he might have been running lieutenant governor in some state. And just commenting, hey, look, uh, these are people who disturb uh, small. We don't care about them. And I think that's a lot of the attitude towards the mentally ill. But here's the thing. Um, especially since COVID, there's been massive increases in depression and anxiety. Like 50% of, of um, older adolescents and young adults report significant symptoms of depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Now, these aren't symptoms that go along with violence, but it does show that what happens when you pull the rug out from society, take away 
uh, institutions, take away comfort, take away churches, take away, by comfort I mean social and interactional comfort, yeah. and you push people more towards an obedience towards government, you're going to end up with some problems. Uh, we've known for thousands of years people do better when they're social, when government takes over the problem. That's part of it. Then you have the issues that go with severe mental illness, which may have a tendency towards violence. Now, there's a couple of things with it. There are some people who are criminals. They're psychopaths. They're uh, in that category. You have some people who want to use violence for political means, like Oregon or, or some of these other states where people are doing this, uh, Antifa, doing this for the sake of causing violence, causing chaos. That's not what we're talking about. Yeah. But there are some folks. And these are the untreated, severely mentally ill. This is very important. So people with schizophrenia and bipolar illnesses, et cetera, are, are really not a propensity towards violence. If they're in treatment, they're, they'll do much better. Really no difference from people who are uh, without a mental illness diagnosis. But when you look at uh, the diagnosis uh, and not in treatment, they're about 15 times more likely to engage in violence. Now, some of the people who engage in violence, they will... Uh, the media is happy to talk about them. Well, they're racist, they're uh, fascist, they're right-wing, et cetera. Yeah. And I'm not saying this in a way to defend anybody. But when you look at the shooter that occurred at the, uh, the Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, when you look at the shooter that attacked the synagogue in Pittsburgh, uh, where I'm from, uh, now they say, well, you know, this person had schizophrenia, a lifetime of psychosis, untreated. When you look at the Parkland uh, schools down in Florida— you look at all these lists of people with untreated mental illness for a long time. Now, this does not excuse them. They can plan. They can go through these things. But what's always puzzled me is why aren't we treating these people? Why are we letting it go? Uh, and then wringing our hands and saying, oh, isn't this terrible that these things have happened? Uh, and the, the easy way out, and quite frankly, I don't like to be political in this, but uh, since your show is, I can talk about this, that a more liberal mindset that focuses on um, let's not force people into any treatment at all because we'd be violating their individual rights. That is, as a psychologist, I say, for, for a person who is severely mentally ill, that's a bizarre concept. And the reason why is someone who has uh, about 40% of those with schizophrenia who do not know they're sick and they do not know they do not know they're sick. Yeah. And so they would not want to get help. And someone would say, well, if they voluntarily don't want to get help, we can't force them to do that. But the alternative is, like, if you think of a, if you see an 80-year-old woman wandering down the street in the snow in January, wearing a bathrobe, talking about how she has to get to school, people would say, oh, the poor woman, she must have Alzheimer's, we need to get her to a hospital. And yet, when it comes to dealing with severe mental illness, people say, well, we don't want to take away someone's rights and force them. But sometimes, that person whose brain is not functioning, we need to get them help. And it is a matter of, of doing that. But instead, what we do is wring our hands after the fact, call for banning guns, yeah. um, go down that road. And I, and I should say this, instead of talking about taking some guns out of the hands of all people, we should take all guns out of the hands of some people, those who are prone to violence, those who do not understand reality, those who are, are, are not willing to get help. We ought to put the conversation more in those terms instead of being distracted by the, the bright, shiny object to take us away from the real answers. You're absolutely right. There's so much that we could dive into on with that conversation with everything that you covered there, because you're right. There's there's a new move to be aware of mental health issues, to try and take care of yourself, of to look inward, to try and bring peace. And I, I saw the study. You can quote, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I had read it and we just tried to talk about it in the last segment of fifth graders today, middle schoolers that are going through a lot of their changes, going through the puberty, trying to figure out the world 
had the level, same level of anxiety as patients in mental institutions back in the 1950s. And because of the anxiety and depression and everything going on in the world today, and we're talking about being aware of it, but like you said, the progressives, the other side, they're wanting to embrace it and just say, you are who you are, let's not try to get you help, but you have this issue, so let's just embrace it on what you feel about it at the time, which is leading to, I think, the gender change issues that we could get into, mm-hmm. I think is leading to the LGBTQ push and focus right now, and is leading to massive anxiety and depression among young children. And, well, that's a great point. But look what our youth have lost. They've lost a stability that comes with saying, these, this is the way that the world operates. These are the rules. This is what you follow. This is the stability. This is where you study at this age, you work at this age, and other challenges will be put before you in the future. Yeah. What has happened, I was having a conversation with a parent about this yesterday. She says, well, I say to my 10-year-old, you know, you can kind of believe what you want and later on, but for now, and I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Here's a mother. At 10 years old, they don't understand this. At 12, 13, and 14, they don't understand it. What has happened is, I, I just recently attended a conference of uh, psychologists. There was a meeting there to present how to write a letter of support for someone who wanted to go through gender change. Or that was the question. Do they go through this? Gender dysphoria. And the way it was presented is, <clears throat> this person was saying, well, here's the boilerplate letter you use. I've never been turned down. Every child I've ever seen has gotten this approved by the insurance company so they can go on and start hormonal changes and other things. If the parents don't like it, we find a way of kind of boxing them out. If the, if the child has a religious question, we take care of that. But we surround the child with lots of people from the LGBTQ community and trans community so they now can feel a place there and part of that. The other part that, uh, that didn't make sense to me, though, is, well, wait a minute. Why don't you find out, does this child have other typical adolescent depression, anxiety, confusion about life? Uh, there is not a reality anymore. They're told, you know, follow your heart. Go where your heart tells you. And that's not a helpful thing because reality is not a matter of following your heart. Thing. There's some cold hard facts. The world isn't fair. And what we have to do to understand stress and deal with it is learn how to deal with it by going through stress, by, by fighting our way through and saying, you know what, life is tough sometimes, but we got to keep pushing. The other part that I find people forget about is the brains of children are not developed. There's a reason why. You're not allowed to um, drink to your 21, vote to your 18, um, serve in the military, own a gun, get a tattoo, all those things. It's because the brain is not fully developed. The frontal cortex of the brain, which is our thinking part of the brain, doesn't really fully develop to about 24, 25. I can always find exceptions to someone who's developed much earlier and lots of exceptions to people who really can't think so much later in life. But the key about that is until that date, the other parts of the brain, which more control our feelings, our reactions, our fight-fight phenomenon, something called the limbic system, that dominates in children and youth up until the early 20s. And, and so you can have someone who is 18, 19, 16 even, who could logically talk to, yes, I know I shouldn't drink and drive, or I shouldn't do this, or I'm with someone alone, I shouldn't be drinking and trying this, et cetera. They can give you that logical argument, and they can give you good answers. But the question is, what happens in a moment of pressure, when they're stressed, when they're anxious? And this is when we all begin to cave. We all begin to fall apart, particularly, though, the adolescent and young adult, when that part of the body, that part of the brain will take over and override the logic. And that's why it's so important. And I I get very concerned when people say, well, maybe if you're stressed and you're 12 and you're a boy, maybe you really want to be a girl. Well, that shouldn't be the question. Maybe it's, let's get some counseling for you. Let's get you some help. Let's build your confidence. Let's get you away from the bullies and around the right kind of people. Let's make sure that uh, you've got a stable life. 
but we're not doing that to youth anymore. And the more we let the tail wag the dog, the more we change the rules, the less anything happens, the more our youth get confused. It is. You're absolutely right. We don't like to stress in the helicopter parenting, I think, is part of that, which I want to talk about the family unit in the parenting and giving them the opportunity to learn when we come back as well. It's a fascinating conversation. We're going to need a lot more time in just a half hour. It's Dr. Tim Murphy. Lots more coming up on The Voice Reason right here. President Biden is trying to convince Americans that his economic agenda is working. He's even named it Bidenomics. Bidenomics is working. He's not fooling anyone. Just 20% of voters believe this country is headed in the right direction. 74% say the nation is on the wrong track. The truth is Bidenomics has made life unaffordable for Americans. 40-year high inflation, higher gas prices and home energy costs, interest rates doubling, and grocery bills that are through the roof. So when Biden brags about the economy thriving, do you believe him? Bidenomics is nothing to brag about. We need real solutions. That means less wasteful spending to lower inflation, unleashing energy abundance and empowering the American workforce. Tell your senator, Bidenomics is bad economics. Visit brokenbidenomics.com. Andy Hoosier here, reminding you, not only can you listen to The Voice of Reason on your favorite radio station, but also check out the video of the program on TV and online. We're excited to be working with our partners over at OpsLens to bring The Voice of Reason live every day on their website at OpsLens.com, on the OpsLens app that you can download on any of your smartphones, or on any of the OpsLens social media. It's a great network that broadcasts multiple shows promoting truth, reason, and common sense, reaching thousands of viewers every day, all day long. Plus, while you're there, you can always watch some of the best highlights of the show during the weekends or read our latest opinion columns on topical issues of the day. Also, if you want to interact with me during the program, just leave a comment on their social media or the OpsLens app stream. You can always join the live chat rooms, or if it's easier, just email me at HoosierMediaNetwork at gmail.com. Again, that's HoosierMediaNetwork at gmail.com. This is your show, and we want to hear from you. Why? Because it's time for you to be your own voice of reason in your own community. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. Last few minutes of the program. Golly, it goes right by way too fast. We could do this for hours on end, and one of these days we're going to get it back and be able to do that. Make sure to tune in for the syndicated program as well. Coming up this weekend, we have a lot more to get to and talk about. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be huge. It's going to be bigly, as they say. And I think we're going to make it bigly. So <laughs> stay tuned in for that one. Looking forward to it. Right now, we're hanging out with Dr. Tim Murphy, drtimmurphy.com. He's a psychologist, author of numerous books, including his latest one, The Christ at Cure. And Tim, there's so many directions I want to go with you with the family unit, parental involvement, as opposed to relying on the education system and the government to do things. But uh, on top of that, I want to ask you, before we run out of time here, uh, your opinion on there's a big push, I think, lately, and Colorado's doing it a little bit. California's trying to do it on foc- the ones that are trying to really focus on uh, mental health issues is going down the road of using a therapist and a psychologist and then using psychedelic experiences to try and cure some of those mental health issues where they've shown a decrease in depression and anxiety and resetting chemical imbalances in the brain. Is that an option in some of these cases, do you think? And would that help as something for us to look a little bit deeper into? 
I'm, I'm not in favor of that overall, and I, I get very concerned about that. I do know some veterans who use psychedelics after having uh, struggled many years with many other uh, problems with their trauma. And they've done that, but it is not just a matter of taking a drug and feeling better and having experience. Yeah. It's a matter for them of, of they're so stressed, they're so torqued up, they have so many problems with obsessive thoughts, et cetera, they need some relief from that. And they, this gives them a sense of understanding what that feeling is like. But it's never that alone. Because drugs can change how you feel, but they don't change how you think. It's yeah. the content of thinking that is so incredi- incredibly important. They, don't necessarily, they also do not necessarily change how you behave. I know having worked with trauma people during my time in the Navy and in my current practice now, where I work with military veterans and first responders like police and firemen, paramedics, et cetera, that key to this is learning a number of very important methods to calm, to, to focus. Uh, but also to deal with those thoughts that keep, continue to creep into our minds when we've been traumatized. A lot of those thoughts are, I feel guilty. Uh, I've shamed myself. I've quit. I've given up. I've failed. Uh, I need to be punished. I feel incredible shame for what I've done, uh, and I don't think I can be healed. Those are parts that restore hope and healing that when we deal with them directly. I, I should mention, you mentioned my book. And my book, The Christ Cure, 10 Biblical Ways to Heal from Trauma, tragedy and PTSD, it deals with something which a lot of psychologists don't want to talk about. They're afraid to talk about. Society's afraid to talk about religion anymore. We've become Christophobic. Everybody's accused of being this phobic and that, but we're afraid to. But something that's been around for a couple thousand years in terms of helping people heal and accept themselves and, and move forward is extremely important as part of that. We keep trying new medicines, new medication, new techniques. I'm not against them all. They can be helpful. Right. But bottom line is, I believe that it's a matter of a physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual changes that help us heal. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was going to be my last question in about this last minute here is how important faith actually is and whatever faith that may be for individuals out there. But believing in a higher power, that higher power giving them some kind of strength to put some kind of barriers or or moral guidelines in practice for them to start working through things. And like you said, working with somebody to acknowledge, have that conscience to realize what may have been good or bad in their life and to be able to work through them, not to ignore them, but to process and to work through them to be able to get out of that situation. Um, it seems like that's kind of the fundamental thing we have to do to solve a lot of the mental health issues, isn't it? It is. You can go back to when John Adams said our very constitution was made only for moral and religious people because you need those, those guidelines, et cetera. But certainly when it comes to dealing with issues of forgiveness, which is so fundamental to dealing with our, our, our sense of self and moving forward from trauma, to have, a, have hope. Uh, I oftentimes ask my, my clients if they say I'm agnostic, I don't really believe, and I said, then where do you go for hope? And they said, I don't really know. <laughs> Faith is, and religion has given us that. We know that people who have strong religion heal better, stronger, more permanently. It is extremely important. And I hope that people will take a look at my book and understand we've got to stop being afraid of talking about the G word, God. And understand that's incredibly valuable for our healing. Well, amen to that. And it's the conversation of, like you said, you know, being phobic of something. You don't have to bash other religions. You just have to promote what you believe or at least have a strong faith in what you believe as well. It's The Christ Cure, 10 Biblical Ways to Heal Trauma, Tragedy, and PTSD. You can find on Amazon, other places, also with the website at drtimmurphy.com as we talk about the mental health pandemic and the crisis going on in the country. Tim, it's so good to talk to you, my friend. Man, there's so much more we could cover. we got to get you back on the show again soon. 
Love to do it. Thanks for what you do, Andy. Keep hey, it up. Absolutely. You as well. Appreciate that very much. There it is. Weekend right around the corner, baby. Make sure to stay tuned in for the syndicated program over the weekend. We're back at it again on Monday with so much more to cover and talk about. Until then, be your own voice of reason. Be that catalyst for change in your own community. It's time for you to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on the radio.